0: How's everybody doing? If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 1. I will warn you and let you know. uh, If you've been here for eight years now, eight years ago in March, I became pastor. Um, I've only preached one sermon series ever from the book of Revelation. Um, We did a sermon series called The Seven Churches, um, and we walked through the seven churches. But beyond that, I have really not, I mean, other than some references here and there, not really preached from Revelation, at some point... We may do that. As a matter of fact, Revelation is one of those things that it seems like everybody wants to know about. Um, I joke about this, but yet at the same time, it was true when I was a teenager and I would sit at the back, our youth group would all sit at the back of the church, oftentimes not in good ways because we'd get in trouble. My dad was a deacon. He would sit at the back door uh, of the church and oftentimes I'd get thumped. Like, you know, <laughs> I, you just waited for my dad to get up out of the back seat and he'd thump me and be like, bro, pay attention. So, but in the back oftentimes, and I'm not trying to, to, to be callous or crude, but at the same time, in the midst of maybe growing up and being irresponsible or immature, um, I would do two things when I looked at my Bible. Number one, what does the Bible say about the end times? So I read Revelation a lot in the back of the church, not listening to the sermon, and that's my own problem, my own fault. Maybe it was ADD, I don't know. The other thing I look up was, what does the Bible say about sex? And every teenage boy's like, heck yeah, but I want to encourage you with this. As we look at the book of Revelation today, there's a lot we don't know. Matter of fact, if the truth was to be revealed about things in life, I'm sure people would still not believe about everything that's going on. Matter of fact, if you've ever watched the movie, The uh, National Treasure, the second one, The Book of Secrets, you know that in this movie with Nicolas Cage, there's a point where he asks the president where the book of secrets is kept. And he goes, and he goes looking for it, and then he finds all these secrets. He's like, oh, look at the secrets, right? If we knew the true secrets about what was going on, we might not like what we really knew, like what really happened with the assassination of JFK. Or let's be honest, in our current cultural climate and situation, what if we knew the truth about where COVID came from, the reality of how COVID really affects us? If it's real, if it's not, and I'm not trying to throw or cast things out there, but this is what's going on in our society. Or maybe if we just knew some of the secrets that with the military or the CIA and the FBI really were doing. A matter of fact, in the Navy, when I had my secret clearance, we'd say things like this to guys who didn't have any clearance. Well, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> Right, you know, I remember walking into Intel. I was our intelligence Petty officer in the Navy, and I would go into intelligence briefings, but there was a point in time in the intelligence briefing they would say, "All of you who have secret clearance and blow have to get out of the room because now it 's just for you guys who have top secret, so there are levels of confidentiality there's confidential which means could cause danger to the the, 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 the protection of the United states there's secret which would cause Uh, potentially harmful, serious danger. There's top secret, which would cause grave danger, and there's what we call top secret SCI. And so regardless of where you're at, I'll use old school, whatever, Secretary of State, Mrs. Clinton. If that happened to a dude in the military that, that, that we revealed SCI clearance information, it was called treason, and you would have been in Leavenworth, Right? Well, I'm not, I'm not but, but I want you to understand what goes on. But there was a point in time when I would be in my intelligence briefings and they would say, everybody's secret and blow. You got to get out of the room. And it was like, darn man. And you'd have to get out because there was a statement. You don't have the need to know. You may have the clearance, but you don't have the need to know. We keep everything on the down low. If you were in the military and they found out you were a sleepwalker and you had a a, a clearance, you would lose your clearance and oftentimes be kicked out. This is what people don't understand. You talk in your sleep or you sleepwalk, you're booted out because they're worried you're going to spill some secret of the United States government to those while you're walking around. And oftentimes, here's the reality, oftentimes when Christians look at the book of Revelation, that's how we feel. I don't understand, and if I did, something bad might happen. When the truth of the matter is, the book of Revelation was written so that we can understand it. Now, there's a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of ideas. You've probably sat under preachers and pastors who will tell you ways that they believe certain things happened. And while you may expect that from me up here, what I'm here to tell you is that that's not going to be me. Because here's what we do know about Revelation not much. In other words, there is a lot of futuristic prophecy that we know is going to happen, but we don't know how it's going to happen. Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions that are declaring and displaying the greatness of Jesus, who is the ruler of all things and the king's over or the king over all kings. So that's what Revelation brings about. And I hope you begin to understand and I, you know, I Maybe I'm getting more emotional as I get older. I have no clue. I never cried until uh, it seems like more and more often that, that I feel like the Lord reveals to me things in my own life that reveal how bad I am, even though it's, it's my mentality that I am so good. But revelation unveils or is a disclosure of Jesus Christ, of something that happened or will happen. So, as you read through this book of Revelation, as you are jumping in, if you've, if you've read the New Testament in 90, we're wrapping up this week as we go into it. Next week, we're starting a new series called Why, and we're going to talk about our, our mission, our vision, and things like that. Matter of fact, if you are a, a, a person who's a regular attender or you've been a, a, a member here for a while, on Saturday we have our Trails Fest. We want to invite you out to serve in that. We need all hands on deck. We have awesome opportunities to be an investment or to invest in the lives of our community and the people around us, to invite them in and say, here's what we're offering. This is what we have. Here's some things that are going on. Inviting people to be a part of the church, inviting people to understand and acknowledge who Christ is. But I want you to think about this. A matter of fact, here is the main statement as we jump into chapter one. We're going to start in verse four. Here's the main statement for the day. I want you to remember this if you remember anything else. Revelation reveals the grand portrait of God's greatness as the Lord works through history and will reign supreme over all things. Do you hear that? Revelation reveals this grand portrait of God's greatness as the Lord works through history and will reign supreme over everything. See, I believe wholeheartedly that right now, in our current cultural climate across the world, not just here in the United States, that we are, have to begin to understand that many are gonna walk through life in fear in worry, in struggle over everything that goes on. And here's the truth about the book of Revelation. While there is a lot that we can make conjecture on and ideas and thoughts on, that Revelation is in reality to be a comfort for those of us who are going to face persecution and struggle and trials as the days get worse and worse. And let's be honest, let's be a little bit more realistic with what's going on. The last I checked, it continues to get worse and worse. I mean, the Bible is very clear that in the end times, now I'm not going to be the person who's going to say in the next 100 years or 150 years or 200, but as the days get worse and worse, that people will become lovers of themselves. They're going to be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of evil rather than lovers of good. What the heck in the world is going on in our culture and in our world right now? We have people full of hate. And let's be honest, some claim to be believers. When we allow hate to be the very thing that flows out of our heart, what we show is our heart is deceitful. And that's what Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it other than the Lord? So Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4, it's a book written by John. John was on the island of Patmos. He had been put there and it says this, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. You hear how John is starting this book off? John isn't starting this book off on this idea of all the problems and all the struggles and all the difficulties that the early church was facing. John is focusing this book on who? Jesus. Every church ought to be focused on Jesus. Every church should not be focused on political bent. Every church should not be focused on what is wrong with our culture and society. Every church should not be focused on and preaching about all of those types of things, but rather every church should be focused on and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the essence of everything that goes on. Everything that we do. When I hear of internal conflict within the church, you don't want to know what bothers me about the internal conflict within the church? It's because then it's not God honoring. It's not about Jesus. When internal conflict begins to arise, when I begin to have problems with somebody else, usually, and here's, here's I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pull the pastor card out. When I have had to deal with counseling situations in times in the past, especially in marriage, it's always he did this, she did that. Who's wrong? Yeah, both, right? And likewise, when I am in an internal conflict with another believer or something like that, who's wrong? Yeah, both, right? Like I I don't remember. I wish I would have had the quote Sarah sent it to me today. She says that for every person who acknowledges basically a person who's toxic, you have to begin to look and go, what part of you is toxic? Right? In in what part of my relationship am I toxic to other people? So, Revelation reveals the grand portrait of God's greatness as the Lord works through history and will reign supreme over all things. So, here's the big idea. When we begin to think about Revelation, we have to ask this question when will these prophecies be fulfilled? And in order to understand that, I'm gonna bore you with some deep things. And I hope it's not boring, I hope it's rather interesting. But to reveal or understand, to begin to understand a little bit about Revelation, I have to begin to understand or ask this question. Matter of fact, anytime I read God's word, I must consider how these words were read and applied by the early believers. Keep in mind that when the Bible was written, When the letters by Paul, as well as the Gospels, as well as Revelation, as well as the pastoral letters, as well as even the Old Testament, my first goal as a person who reads the Bible is to ask this question, what was meant or what did the original hearers understand this as? Because it was written in a context. And we have to understand that truth without a context is a problem. Because people go, well, I don't understand it because I don't understand the context. Context is huge. I have to understand the context as I dig into the text. So anytime we read the word, we have to ask, what does this mean to the original hearers, the early church? And I want you to keep in mind that this early church had been scattered and had been dispersed. James talks about it in, in the beginning of James. And so... I wanna give you four interpretations of the book of Revelation real quick as we jump into this because we have to begin to understand. You're you're gonna hear some words. You're gonna be like, oh my gosh, what is he talking about? The first view or the first interpretation of the book of Revelation is what we call the preterist view. The preterist view is this, that the prophecies were fulfilled in the first few early centuries of Christianity. In other words, the book of Revelation has been fulfilled in the first centuries of Christianity, but here is the problem with this preterist view. It clearly ignores the allusions to the final judgment that we read in in Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and 22. And so there is some truth to this, that these prophecies were possibly fulfilled, or some of them were fulfilled in the first few early centuries. And that would be, listen, that would be comfort for the early believers, would it not? Because the early believers were under persecution. Matter of fact, I don't know if you realize with everything that's gone on in Afghanistan, but I just saw an update this morning from Christianity Today that supposedly, I I haven't been able to 100% verify this, but the underground church that was in Kabul, Afghanistan, was all killed last night. Supposedly, they were on the phone with somebody. They were praying with this person. In the background, there were gunshots, there were screams, and then the phone went dead. And this was the underground church or a part of the underground church in Kabul, and here's what's crazy about it is we can be so disconnected from that and not understand everything that goes on. But what I want to I encourage you with is this, that American Christianity, while there are lots of great things about it, American Christianity shown its true colors over the last year and a half because people ran for the hills. Instead of stepping up and saying, I trust, and I follow, and I believe, and I'm going to have the faith, and I'm going to walk behind, and I'm going to obey what Jesus called me to the American church ran. The American church vanished. I mean, church after church, mega church, small church, doesn't matter. We've had more small churches closed this year than ever it in, in, Before. We've had more large churches cutting down or cutting back services. Some churches have grown, but it's less than 1% of all churches have grown. Others have floundered. And I believe wholeheartedly is because what happens when people begin to put their faith and trust in government, the faith and trust in their health, the faith and trust in other people, instead of putting their faith and trust in Jesus? So, preterist views number one. Number two, there's a historic View The historical view, these prophecies have been and are being fulfilled in the present age between Christ's first and second coming. Now, here's the great news about this, is that we can look in and we go, hey, look, history wise, we could possibly line things up with that. But here's the problem with the historical view. Every time in a couple of hundred years goes around, we have to reevaluate and go, well, who's what? Matter of fact, if you grew up when I grew up, do you guys remember Mikhail Gorbachev? Like, I remember people saying that he wore the mark of the beast. Remember his birthmark on his forehead? Right? Like, Miguel Gorbachev's got to be the antichrist. He wore the mark of the beast. Like, I remember people literally saying that. And if you don't know who Miguel Gorbachev is because you're that young, just Google it. All right? <laughs> okay? But, but here's the issue. Prophecies have been and are being fulfilled in the course of Western history. This is true. The problem is we have to rework every new history segment throughout our culture. So every 100 years or so, it's going to have to tweak or change. Number three is the futurist view. The futurist view is, I would say, adopted by most conservative scholars, but at the same time, it holds its own problems. The futurist view is this, that these prophecies are largely going to be fulfilled in the future. So chapters 4 through chapter 22... They are going to be fulfilled in the future. It's this idea that we're awaiting these future fulfillment. And then number four, the last one to understand as we begin is what we call the idealist, or the allegorical view. In other words, all of the things that we say, all of the prophecies we see in revelation are what we call allegories. They're illusions. They're not necessarily going to be real. And so what they are is they're fulfilled symbolically throughout history of the church. Matter of fact, maybe you've heard it in the past like this. The great grasshoppers or locusts that are referenced in Revelation are the helicopters and the the air vehicles that are going on. Well, that's allegory. That's the illusionist aspect. And while we can look back and we can sit and go, wow, which one am I? And I would tell you this wholeheartedly if you were to ask me, I would tell you, I'm not going to tell you. Because all of these are in some way, shape, or form, have some truth behind them, but they are all man-made ideologies built upon what they think would be their interpretation of revelation, right? So the preterist view, again, we can go back. We would obviously say that there is some truth that some of these were most likely possibly fulfilled in the early first century. The historical thing, we can easily hold to that and we can say, hey, listen, we can understand or see that all throughout history, God is going to work and unveil the truth of these prophecies. The futurist, we can see the futurist could be true because we know that there are gonna be some, and particularly if you read Revelation chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22, that is gonna take place in the future when God brings upon judgment and he judges those who are right and right and judges those who aren't right based upon the blood of Christ or so the futurist plays out. We can see the allegorical or the, the, the idealist place playing out because some are going to be symbolic. So do you see how all four of them unite and kind of bring things together and we can say, hey, look, I don't have to piggyback or put myself into one place or one situation, but let's, let's keep in mind also that in the midst of the four interpretations of Revelation, we have three different views on the millennium. If you read Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the 1,000-year reign of Christ. So you have people who are premillennialists. Premillennialist means that Jesus will return before the millennium. The postmillennialists believe that Jesus will return after the 1,000-year reign. And the amillennialists, let's keep this in mind, that means that the present age that we are in is the millennium. In other words, there's not going to be a future millennium to come. And then, in the words of my dad... My dad would say this. Ah, oh, I'm a pan millennialist because it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> I remember when I was in when I was in college, and I would say, "Dad, which one are you?" He'd be like, "I'm a pan." And I'm like, "Pan? That's not even an option." And he told me that the first time. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what the? That's a dad joke." And <laughs> but listen, here's here's the truth about this. All of these different views are held by sincere followers of Jesus that should not divide us. Please hear me out when I say this. When we talk about the book of Revelation, these are views that should not divide us. This is a secondary or even a tertiary thing. We have primary doctrines that should divide us. Doctrines like this. The humanity and deity of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, those are primary doctrines that will divide They will always divide. We hold to believe that Jesus is the only God, the true God, the way, the truth, and life, that he died on the cross for all the sins of all mankind, that if I put my faith and trust, I acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross, I have put my faith and trust in him, that I will be saved. Those are things that definitely, we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, key doctrine for us to understand that he was 100% God, 100% man, that he died on the cross, that he rose again victorious to reign over sin and death. Those are doctrines that divide. But let's talk about baptism. While I hold what I would classify as a biblical belief of what baptism is, baptism by immersion, following salvation, there are other places or other believers who don't hold particularly to that. Let's talk about like Episcopal or Presbyterian, right? If they acknowledge that Jesus is the only way, they acknowledge Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but we disagree on baptism, we're okay. Remember, baptism is not what saves you. What saves you? The blood of Jesus Christ. Baptism is just a symbol of what is taking place in your life. So baptism becomes secondary. And then there are third level things like this book of Revelation and stuff that should not divide us. Baptism shouldn't even divide us. We should be able to work with other brothers and sisters who look at baptism differently than us and say, hey, we're all working together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen, we cannot allow things like Revelation or Calvinism and things like that to divide and separate and segregate. Should never happen. And so when we talk about this idea of premillennial, postmillennial, preterist, historic, futurist, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Because remember, I want to remind you of this, that revelation reveals the grand portrait of God's greatness as the Lord works through history and will reign supreme over all things. Revelation reveals the grand portrait of God's greatness. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me as we jump in. We talked about verse 4. Now, we're going to jump into verse, kind of the beginning of, or end of verse five, beginning of verse six. Listen to what he says To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Now, listen to what he says Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Keep that in mind because that's the second time he said that. Who is, who was, and who is to come. I want you to think about this when he says this. Notice what he says first. He doesn't say who was, and then who is, and who is to come. What does he say first? Who is. Do you realize in the midst of everything that's going on right now that Jesus Christ sits supreme on the throne, in control, dominating and dictating everything. a matter of fact, what he's allowed is he's given Satan a time to sift this world, is what the scripture says. And as Satan sifts this world, he works through the lives of people in the evil ways to try and mislead and abuse and, according to scripture, to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what I have to begin to understand is this. When Revelation reveals the grand portrait of God's greatness that I understand that Revelation reveals God's grace and God's peace. Because what we see in the book of Revelation is this, one of the most dominating victories in the history of all mankind. Let's talk about domination. When we think about a dominating victory, what would we look at and what would we identify? And we can think of all kinds of things. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's military victories. Maybe it's things like this. Maybe it's just things we look at and we go, oh, my gosh. I think of like UCLA back in the day with seven national championships in basketball. Or let's be honest, as much as I can't stand the New England Patriots, (laughs) and now the fact, honestly, let's just be realistic, maybe it was just Tom Brady, period. He's done more in his lifetime for football than anybody. That's domination. But let's be truthful. When he says who is, We have to begin to understand that Jesus sits on the throne, and he is. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who holds all things in the future. He is the one who will declare victory over sin and death. And the last I checked, every one of us is going to die. I'd rather die doing what God called me to do than die running and cowering at the whims of government or the pressure of somebody else putting pressure on me saying to, to recant or deny Jesus. And listen to me, that's what it's going to take for the American church to finally be emboldened and say, no matter the cost, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. God has put you where he wants you. You are where you're supposed to be. The question becomes Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Revelation reveals God's grace and peace. Listen to what he says again grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And listen to what he says and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Listen to me, the Taliban may think they're in control right now, but I got news for them. They ain't got squat on Jesus. The American government and the American military may think you're in control, but guess what? I got news for you. You ain't squat compared to Jesus. The Russians, the Chinese, the Great Britons, the Australian, whatever you want to bring up when we look at that, he is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. And at some point in time, listen, Jesus is going to come knocking He's going to show up just like it says. He's coming with the clouds and when Jesus comes back, listen to what happens. Every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And it says they will mourn because of him. Please turn me out when I say this. It's important for us to understand that salvation belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone and that the mourning is the mourning over our sin, the mourning over our brokenness. And here... Here's the reality. Here's the problem. Here's the struggle that oftentimes we don't understand. When Jesus comes back, it's far too gone for those who have not acknowledged. When Jesus comes back, it says that with the trumpet sound, those who are dead in Christ, those who are in the grave, are going to be caught up in the air with Jesus. And those who are alive then will follow them. Those who don't know Jesus at that point, it says, are doomed for annihilation. They are doomed for an eternity in hell with Satan. And a lot of people want to discredit that and they want to walk beyond it, but listen to us and listen to the struggle where Revelation unveils this. I am the Alpha Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. And then he says this, I am the Almighty. Remember when Moses was asked, who am I to say you are, Lord, when I go before Pharaoh. You tell him I am. I am everything. I am the Almighty. I am the creator of heaven and earth. I am. And he lays this out. Now listen, we have to begin to understand, listen to what he says. Jesus is the faithful witness of God's goodness and his grace and his peace. And he's also the firstborn from among the dead. This book is about a dominating victory over Satan and his work and over his death. Or the death that he holds. Matter of fact, that's why we can say, and we say it oftentimes at a funeral and things like this Death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Because you have no control over me. See, I think most of us, including believers, are afraid of death. We're afraid of the uncertainty. We don't know what it looks like. We worry, we struggle, we fret. And what a believer has to begin to understand is death holds no power over me, that I walk in the victorious life that Jesus offered me. And if you kill me, all you did was brought me into a relationship with my maker in a greater way than I could ever experience here on earth. Number two, I want you to see this, that revelation leads to adoration and exaltation. Here's the great thing about this. If you follow along in verse 9, I'm going to read verse 9 down a little ways. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Verse 12, and I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was... Someone like the Son of Man. As a matter of fact, if you were to look up that, you're going to be referenced back to Daniel and Daniel with the visions that Nebuchadnezzar was having and stuff like that. But it was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And listen to what he says in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Listen, revelation should lead us into a greater form of adoration and exaltation of who Jesus is. Let's be realistic. If, if this was the end times and Jesus was coming back, how many of us would sit in a pew with no hands raised, with scowls or crossed arms, not singing, not rejoicing, not adoring who Jesus is? but yet oftentimes we're able to come in because of everything else that we give influence in our lives, we're able to walk in the doors, we're able to sit in a pew, and we're able to just go. Do you hear what Revelation should do? It should lead us to a greater adoration and exaltation of who Jesus is, that he would be lifted high in my life, that he would be declared almighty in everything that I do, that whatever my hands and feet find to do, I would do it all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, I wouldn't sit back. I wouldn't frump. I wouldn't worry, but it would result in exaltation. And listen, he freed us from our sins by his blood. We are not just people under his rule. We are participating in his reign. Do you hear that? It's not just a dominating dictatorship where he's like holding his thumb over us and he's like, you're going to do this. It's the fact that we get to participate in the reign forever and ever with him. We're not going to be kings. We're not going to be princes, but we're going to be people in his kingdom to celebrate who Jesus is and what Jesus did and the offering that he offers us in life and life more abundantly. And so it leads us to a greater adoration and exaltation. Worship isn't about my comfort zone. It's not about the music I like, nor what I bring. Worship is adoring the one who paid it all for me. And it's high time that people in the church begin to say, I don't care what everybody else thinks about me. I'm going to respond how I should respond. Maybe it's fallen on my knees, acknowledging my brokenness and my sin. Maybe it's standing with my hands lifted high when nobody else wants to do it. But listen to me, revelation leads to a greater adoration and exaltation. And listen, that goes beyond just the four walls of a sanctuary, but it means adoring and exalting Him in my life day in and day out. That everything I do, we used to say this to our kids in Texas everything I do is an act of worship. Do you realize that? everything I do. When I work, I work to the glory of God. When I serve, I serve for the glory of God. When I sleep, I am sleeping and being prepared and refueled so that the next day I get up, I do everything for the glory of God. That when I'm crunching numbers or I'm welding something, or I'm working on a car, or I'm, I'm helping somebody out with counseling, whatever it is that I do it all for the glory of God. It's greater adoration and greater exaltation because of who Jesus is. Listen, Revelation 1 is just the beginning. It's like the tip there is so much here in Revelation. Like I said, maybe we'll do a sermon series here in the future, but I want you to understand, Revelation begins with the good news of who Jesus is. It leads us to the adoration and exaltation. And number three, Revelation reveals the grand portrait of Christ. See, a picture of Jesus, the high priest, echoes the truth of the teaching of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And here's what's crazy I mean, think about this. John, it says he turns around to hear the voice that is speaking to him. And when I turned, he saw the seven golden lampstands. Now, for us to understand this, what we have to begin to understand is the seven lampstands are the seven churches that are gonna be pictured in the book of Revelation, chapters two and three. And there's a point where Jesus says, if you don't do these things, I will remove your lampstand. Why? Because the church... Listen to me, the church is the light that is to shine or show off the showbread. Jesus is the bread of life, and the church is the lamp that lights the showbread, that shows people the truth of the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus means and what Jesus offers and what Jesus gives. And when the church doesn't reflect the bread, but the church says, I'm going to stick to my things, Jesus says, I'm going to turn you off. You're not any use to me anymore. Matter of fact, there's a point where he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. So listen, Revelation reveals the grand portrait of Christ. And here's what's crazy. It says, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And here's what I envision, or here's what I picture. You think about Daniel, in, in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're thrown in the fiery furnace, and a king comes out, and he's like, what? I see a fourth one in there. And it's like, a son of What? Son of Man, John is seeing Jesus walking amongst the churches, and the question would be, church, is would if somebody showed up on Sunday morning, would they see Jesus walking amongst us, or would they see us self-centered, struggling, backbiting, worried about other things, fearful over what could be happening in our day, or do we lift up Jesus? Do we hold Jesus up and do we say, look, I am a broken mess that has been redeemed from my sin because of the bread of life? Revelation reveals the grand portrait of Christ. And here, as we just begin to understand, think about this, what he says. It says a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like white wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Whiteness corresponds to the Ancient of Days, a reference out of Daniel to God the Father. Eyes like fire describe his piercing judgment of sin. And please hear me out when we understand this. Most people go, man, I don't want the church to know my sin. But listen, matter of fact, I've had people say this to me before. Man, if I go to your church, it's going to burn down. Why? You think God only sees your sin when you're in a building? Like, that's what's funny. Like, we'll walk in on a Sunday morning, even believers are like, do-do-do-do-do, I can hide my sin, I'm good to go. Do you really think any of us have any control over your eternity? Last I checked, we didn't. But Jesus sits supreme. Jesus sees all things. Jesus knows all things. Jesus is your creator and your maker, the author and perfecter of your faith, He sees those things. Eyes like fire, describing the piercing judgment of sin. Bronze is the sacrifice of sin and the divine judgment on it. And then, listen face like the sun. Listen to what John chapter 1 or, or First John says, God is light, in him there's no darkness, his glory reveals light into the darkest of places. And so when John turns around and sees it, it says his face was so bright it was like the sun. Revelation later says there will be no longer sun or moon or stars or any light. Why? Because God is light and he will give off light to everything that he establishes in the end. This is a supernatural picture of what God offers. And remember, it's the dominating victory of everything, over everything, over all kings and all authorities, all rulers, and all man-made religions. And here's the response. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And here's what's crazy. Then he placed his right hand on me his righteous right hand. Where in scripture it says he will uphold us with his righteous right hand. Because that is what he uses to take us out of the miry, nasty, filthy mess of the sinful life we have and he holds us up. And he says, I uphold you with my righteous right hand. See the picture of what I'm just talking about? It's the grand portrait of God's greatness, unveiled just in the first chapter of Revelation. And while we don't know what the future looks like, we know who holds the future. And so here's what I want to give you. I want to give you five applications real quick from the book of Revelation. Five, you can write them down. Application number one, our righteous God will ultimately deal with human sin. Not a matter of if, but when. Our righteous God will ultimately deal with human sin. Number two, he will bring to consummation the salvation of those who trust in Christ. Yes, you're saved here on earth, but listen to me, your ultimate salvation is in the end when you are in heaven with him. When he establishes the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, as we see in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Number three, he gives a warning to those unprepared to face the future. Maybe you're somebody today who would say, I am not prepared to face the future of what could or could not happen. What revelation is, is a warning to be prepared to face the future. He's offering time. The Bible is very clear. He says, the Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish, but for all to believe. The longer the Lord waits to come back, the more patient his grace and peace is seen as. Number four, a day of reckoning will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians chapter two, verse 10. There will be a day where every knee will bow and regardless of where you are at on your revelation belief, preterist, futurist, allegorical, historical, premillennial, postmillennial, doesn't matter, Why? Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And number five, the application we can begin to understand is that there are blessings on those who hear it and take to heart what is written. And when I say this, when I talk about hearing, the Bible is very clear that hearing is not just listening. See, in our world, we are like, oh, yeah, I heard you. But in the Bible, when we say, when he says, Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What he's saying is this Hearing is lived out by action. In other words, I heard what you said, Lord, and now I'm doing what you said. Be not mere hearers of the word, but doers of the word. James, this plays big time in our lives. Because in order to understand the grand portrait of what Jesus is trying to lay out, I have to begin to live the way he's called me to live. And that starts with the relationship with Jesus. That I put my faith and trust in him, acknowledging that he died on the cross for my sins, acknowledging that he rose again, realizing that there is no payment for sin apart from Christ. That's the beginning. And then from there... I live out of obedience to God first rather than obedience to man. I don't cater to the whims of man, but rather I walk in obedience to what God has called me to do. I hope this is just a glimpse. Matter of fact, I hope that you will go home this week and read the rest of the book of Revelation because it's a great or grand portrait of a great God Who gave everything for us and who made the ultimate sacrifice? Revelation reveals the grand portrait of God's greatness as the Lord works through history. And listen, He will reign supreme over all things, including you and me at some point. The question is are you with Him or not? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge your goodness. In the sending of your son Jesus, we acknowledge the grace and peace that he offers. And we see that revelation, while it can be very difficult to walk through and maybe have different beliefs and opinions and ideologies and uh, allegories and history and futurists and all of these different things, God, that we know that you reign supreme. And so, God, may we look deeply within ourselves. And acknowledge whether we are a believer or not. Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus? Have I followed him in believer's baptism? Do I understand what that means? Because we acknowledge that you reign supreme. And that at some point in time, we are gonna be called. And we're gonna be held accountable. For belief or a lack of belief. And Lord, we pray And we understand and acknowledge that we want to be with you because we know that you reign victorious over all things, over all kings, over all governments, over all militaries, over all rulers that are in place. And that, God, we know that there is a time coming. It is coming around the world already. It may not be here as much so much right now, but, God, we know that there is a time coming where believers are going to be more and more persecuted. And Lord, the only hope we can have is acknowledging your kingdom and your victory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're gonna close with this song. We're gonna have the song of invitation. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you say, I wanna talk to somebody about it, I'm gonna be up here. You can talk to me now, you can talk to me afterwards. Don't walk away, don't leave. Because remember what we said the application is, that God is giving you an opportunity to respond.